appreciate your presence tonight here as we've assembled together to uh, worship God as we've been directed, and it is an encouragement to be able to come back uh, for a second opportunity to do just that and uh, to have uh, those of like mind in assembly uh, ready to worship God and to consider a portion of his word. As Caleb mentioned uh, this morning, on yesterday, we both had the opportunity to speak at a new lectureship or series of lectures that is anticipated to take place on an annual basis, and that uh, is at the Marietta Church of Christ in Oklahoma, and that's just about an hour from here, so maybe uh, next year that might be something that uh, you consider. Uh, there are a number of uh, speakers, uh, many that uh, you would have been aware of. In fact, uh, one of them was quite disappointed. None of y'all came to see him. <clears throat> uh, one by the name of Jason Rollo, and he said to make sure y'all were told about that, that y'all didn't come <laughs> see him. So I've told you. But uh, it was a great opportunity, at least what I got to hear and see of it. And I don't know what you're doing Tomorrow night or Tuesday night, but a young man by the name of Hiram Kemp is speaking there on Monday and Tuesday night. So if, if you could work that into your schedule, I guarantee you it would be worth your time to go hear uh, him preach. My particular assignment on a theme um, that uh, focused on the heart uh, was morality matters. And there were a number of lessons that followed that matters theme. There was one after mine last night that was uh, authority matters. There are lessons on that series on doctrine matters and just a number of lessons like that because quite frankly, we live in a world today where I, I expect Many of us, if not all of us, have at least had that thought come into our mind, does it really matter? You know, you just, you're beaten down with the worldliness of the world and the lack of care and concern, not just in the world, but quite frankly, in the church too. And, you know, that thought can creep into your mind on an occasion where you think that, you know, does it really matter? Fighting hard for what is right and what is true. Is it really worth it? Is it making a difference? Does it really matter in the world? And so I appreciate opportunities like this where I'm asked to do something maybe that I maybe wouldn't have chosen on my own to study some things and to reaffirm my hope and sure up my foundation. And hopefully tonight as we consider this lesson you might receive the same benefit uh, from what I have prepared. Morality. Now, you could search from Genesis to Revolutions, as one preacher said, and you're going to struggle to find that word in your English Bible. Uh, there's one passage uh, that uh, uses that word, but the, the concept is, is really much bigger than just the use of it in that one passage, morality or moral, morals, is not 
at least in the English sense, a biblical word because you don't you don't see it on a lot of pages in the Bible. But I would suggest for this word, as, as many other topics that are very biblical, that just because you can't find the English word in your Bible for morality, that doesn't mean it's not a biblical topic. In fact, the idea, as we will see in our study tonight, is on every page of the Bible because God's communication to humanity is all about morality. And I'll explain what I mean by that just shortly. I want to look at this under three points, three subject uh, headings uh, tonight. First, as we think about morality mattering, what is it? We need a good idea about what it what it is. And then number two, just sticking with the title of the lesson, why does it matter? So what is morality? Why does it matter? And then in the last place, I want to look at some areas where society, and since the church lives in society, where society and the church to some degree have been affected, morally speaking, in ways that definitely matter. And you can see it. Uh, where we've lost our moral bearing and we've ignored our moral compass. So that'll be the course of our study tonight, and we'll chart that now with the observation of our first point. We need to know what we are talking about, so what is morality? If you take the dictionaries of our day, which a dictionary gives the common usage or current usage of a word, and you look just at the dictionaries to see what morality means when we use that word uh, in society. You might have heard someone say, hopefully someone has said about you from time to time, he or she is a good moral person, or they have good morals, or they've had a, a good moral upbringing. Well, what, is, what does that mean in society's usage of it. Really, what we're talking about when we talk about morality is principles of distinction between right and wrong, good and bad. Now, we get the good and bad part, right? Things are good or they're bad. They're right or they're wrong. But the definition and the word goes much deeper than that. It's not just ascribing right or wrong, good or bad, but it's the principles that guide that labeling. Morality is a framework, then, by which we determine right or wrong, good or bad. That's morality. And everybody has a framework. Everybody has some system, unless there's just something crazy going on. And there are some situations like that in society where people have just lost all moral interest or focus. But generally speaking... Everybody has some kind of framework by which they make moral decisions. Now again, it, they could be way off, but they have a framework and they believe in it. They have a system or a structure by which they assess an action and they say that's good, that's bad, that's right, that's wrong. It may only be ascribing wrong to it when it is against them. 
You know, they may not be, they may not care about anybody else, but if it's an offense against me, then it's wrong. Well, that's a, that's a, a framework. That's a system for deciding the morality of something. So principles of distinction between right, wrong, good, or bad. And I've said already that everybody has such a system. Men in society, whether they be religious men or whether they be atheistic men who study human behavior, they all tend to agree that we have something that makes us distinct from the animal kingdom. And that is we have this sense of conscience. We have this sense of moral bearing. We have within us a sense of oughtness. There is something about man that makes him different than a dog or a cow or a chicken or whatever other farm animal you want to throw in here. There's something different about man because we have an, a sense of oughtness. We find ourselves in situation where we feel like we ought to do something. You might see a defenseless person being bullied or they're being attacked in their life. Their safety or their well-being is threatened. And you know that person can't defend themselves, and so you assess that situation, and there's something within you saying, I can do something. And not only can I, but I ought to do something. Where does that come from? And if you ask the atheist, he can't explain that. He can't tell you why man who allegedly evolved from you know, the lower forms of life and has arrived at a level superior to all the other beings and creatures on the earth. He can't tell you why a man has that sense of altness where he can look at a situation and whether his instrument is calibrated right or not, he can look at it and say, that's just wrong. I need to do something about that. Man is unique in that regard. And we have this sense about us associated with morality, some kind of framework or structure within our minds, in our beings that drives us to act, to think and reason based upon right and wrong. We're talking about morality. But not all frameworks are right and good. In fact, man cannot be the source of his moral framework. He just, he can't be. And we, the group that's here tonight, there would be some subjects that if we were simply going to be guided by what we think and what we feel, we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have a lot of agreement on that. And it would be very hard to be unified as a body of people under God if we were all left to our own devices and we were to decide our own moral framework. Man is just not capable of that. Some of the darkest periods in history 
have been periods of time where men were void of a, a void of a consistent God-centered moral framework. I think of the book of Judges, and I just think of how bad that period of time was in the history of the Israelite people. And I think about passages like Judges 21-25 that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In other words, there was no source of authority to which people were submitting and following. Everyone was guiding themselves and it was an atrocious period of time. Very dark period in the history of this people. But that's not the only passage. There are other passages that talk about man's inability to be his own God. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jeremiah 10, 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. And then what about Isaiah 55, 8? where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, says the Lord. We cannot arrive at a God-pleasing framework of morality on our own. We need him. And quite frankly, why not him? God is the source of all good. Not evil, but all good. You might remember on one, on one occasion, someone approached Jesus and said, good teacher. And Jesus' response to him was, why do you call me good? There is one good, and that is God. He is the essence of goodness. Why wouldn't we expect that we should turn to him to figure out what morality ought to look like? In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, Micah said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. God has shown us what is good. Well, what is it? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I asked this question last night, and I'll ask it again. What would society look like if that were the essence of every man's moral framework? What if everyone was at least guided by that framework? I'm going to make decisions about how I'm going to act. I'm going to make decisions about what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, based upon these principles, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. Well, that would flip things upside down real quick, just that alone. But there's more to it than that. God, though, is the only source where we can find a framework for our, our morality that will do society good and will please glorify and honor him. You know, when you think about morality and you think about what we're kind of putting together here already, what we're really talking about I mean, we have a word morality, but we're, what we're really talking about, there's a biblical word for it, and it's righteousness. Righteousness, uprightness, according to the dictates of our God. And that's the framework. How do we live? How do we function in this world? According to God's righteousness. That's our morality. 
Now, there are a lot of frameworks, but there's really only one that matters. There is only one that matters, and it's God's, and it's righteousness. If we want to make sure that the framework by which we decide right, wrong, good, or bad is right and correct, then we need to pursue righteousness according to the Scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25, Moses says, Then it will be righteousness to us. What? How do we arrive, Moses, at righteousness? If we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That's how we arrive. It's no different today. Now the law has changed, okay? The, the instructions that we are obligated to follow have changed, Principally, we still have what Moses gave, and it's good because we don't look at the old law and say, well, that doesn't make sense anymore. That was a moral framework that doesn't apply anymore. No, good is good and bad is bad. And so though the instructions have changed because we're under a different dispensation of time, the reality is just the same. When we follow God's instructions, we practice righteousness. And when we practice righteousness, we have set up a framework of morality that helps us make decisions, right, wrong, good, bad, with the guarantee that we're pleasing God in the process. And so we're just really talking about righteousness. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 172, my tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteous. And so that's it. Righteousness. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now listen. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, righteousness is revealed. And so I don't have to walk around tonight wandering around like I'm trying to find my way in the dark. If I turn my heart and mind to the Word of God and I pursue with my whole heart the instructions that God has given to me, then I will draw out of His Word a moral framework where I can decide definitively between right and wrong, good or bad, in a way that pleases Him. And so that's morality. That's what we're talking about. To follow God, to make our decisions based upon the instruction that he has given us. Now, in the second place, why does it matter? Why does it matter? I, the preacher's going to say it matters. And I would expect that you would tell people in the world who ask you, you know, I see you doing all of these things. I see you going to worship regularly. I see you trying to live your life in a wholesome, moral way. I see you trying to raise your children in spite of the evil and ungodly influences that they're exposed to on a daily basis. I see all of that in your life. But why? Why does it matter? Well, we've held a the word of God as the standard and source of righteousness. 
Why, why is that so important? Did you know physically, from a physical material perspective, the Word of God brought the world in which we live into existence. The Word of God sustains the world in which we live, and the Word of God one day will destroy the world in which we live. From beginning to sustainment to the end of it, the Word of God is central physically and morally to the world, or materially to the world that we live in. I know that. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, as well as I do, he spoke everything that is into existence. And after doing, he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. And we would expect nothing less than that. But listen to what 2 Peter chapter 3 says about the relationship of the word of God with the beginning, the sustainment, and the end of the world in which we live. He says, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You see that the word of God is central physically and materially to the world in which we live, but it is also central and integral to the moral and righteousness aspect of the world in which we live as well. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Hebrews writer said, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, listen, by whom also he framed the world. Right there, in the heart of it, when the physical material world was being created, there's Jesus. And he's still right there in his word, ready to make the world what it ought to be and to judge it by based on what it should have been in that day. You remember John chapter 12 and verse 48, he said, he who rejects me and does not receive my word has one who judges him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So just as the word of God, that standard of righteousness, well, which is righteousness, and our standard of morality, just as that word sustains this world physically, it sustains it morally as well. And so that's why it's important. We are sustained by a moral standard that comes from God, just like you are sustained by the next breath that you haven't even breathed yet. And God is the guarantor of that. I mean, we don't even think about it. I just exhaled. I'm going to exhale in a minute. And that breath is just going to be there. But the goodness the sureness of his moral standard is just as certain in his sustainment of this world. Though people ignore it and though people try to set up their own framework, it doesn't negate the fact that God's morality is what we need 
It is what sustains this world. I remember a period of time in Bible history when a man was debating with God about whether or not a city should be destroyed. And God was ready to rain down fire on this city. But he would withhold that judgment if there was enough moral righteous influence in that city to make a difference. Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't, I don't know any more than I know about this. I'll preface what I'm about to say with that statement, and that probably will confuse you for the next 15 minutes the way I just said that. But here's the point I'm trying to make. God has promised to destroy this world. And for some reason, beyond my logical brain's ability to understand, he hasn't done it yet. I mean, I look at the world and I think, any minute, surely he's had enough of this. But maybe, maybe, we're in a Sodom and Gomorrah situation where God can look down and count enough influence among people who are willing to follow his moral framework to hold his judgment back. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I, have had, I haven't had a conversation with God about that. But that may be it. And so it matters. Just as the word of God sustains this world physically, it is sustaining it morally as well. It matters. You know, the very problem that the world faces arose over an inability or an unwillingness to decide between good and evil based upon the right moral framework. Adam and Eve. You know, right in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the thing that they were forbidden to mess with was what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had a little help from Satan and they just had to go mess with it. And from that point on, what have we been doing? Trying to decide between right and wrong, good or bad. And doing it based upon standards that aren't consistent with the will of God. And we have a mess. It persists even to this day. It matters. Because we're to hunger for thirst and righteousness, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God has promised to fill us if we do. He's challenged us and told us not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. How in the world are we going to do any of that if we don't know the framework and the standard by which we're supposed to make these decisions? So it matters because our ability to do what God expects us to do is inhibited if we don't know what the framework, the moral framework is. We get mixed messages today. I've talked about postmodernism already. I'll re not retrace that ground. But in essence, it's just the idea that there are no standards. You can't say there is objective, there are objective standards that we can follow. And that's just crazy, especially to people who believe in God. Our situation ethics Yes, this is right, right now as we're looking at it, but the situation or circumstances could change and then it would be wrong. 
Or this is wrong, but depending upon the environment where it's taking place, then it could be right. Situation ethics. In other words, the standards are fluid. And then again, that whole, this is my truth, that's your truth, nonsense. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he who hearkens to counsel is wise. And that's what I'm saying tonight. Morality matters. We need to hearken unto counsel, and it's God's counsel that we need to hearken to because that's wisdom and foolishness is anything other than that. And truth be told, it's the only thing that matters. What has God said about the rightness or the wrongness of a thing? That's all that really matters. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. And Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, We're to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You're going to have to have a God-given moral standard and framework for deciding between right and wrong in order to keep your heart with all diligence. And it matters because life issues from those decisions about right or wrong. Now let's take just a, just a few more minutes to consider very quickly, we don't really have a lot of time to dwell on these, but I'm going to give them to you and you can think about them from here. What are some moral missteps in society that have affected society or that society is openly embraced and the church may be teetering on the edge of them. Christians may be teetering on the edge of them. What, what are some of these? Number one, the sanctity of life. Who has the right to decide when life is viable and in particular and especially in the womb? Who has the right to do that but God? And I remember reading in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 where Jeremiah, God said of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now God had a relationship with Jeremiah before he was ever born. What if someone had played God and taken that responsibility or role of choosing life into their own hands? What would have happened to this person that God had already established a relationship with? And so there's right or wrong with regard to the sanctity of life. Society's lost its mind in this area, but some Christians are really not sure about it themselves. A God-given moral framework won't make you falter on decisions like that. Number two, the integrity of the home. The integrity of the home, investing in the home and making it what God wants it to be. The psalmist said in Psalm 127 and verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Who's building your house? Because God has spoken about it and he's told us the right way and the wrong ways to do it. Who's building our houses, our homes today? In marriage, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, 
about the honorableness of marriage. Just think of what society has done with that and even how that's influenced the church. Wish we had more time to talk about some of these. Civil government. I think about Romans chapter 13 and what Romans chapter 13 says about civil government being ordained of God. It's an instrument in his hand. And the point Paul is making there is we're to submit to civil government. And he says that they're not a terror to good works. Boy, that's hard to swallow sometimes. I believe it. And I believe in God's providential care in those situations. But it's a head scratcher sometimes. Because I can see where so many in those roles and in those positions of authority have lost their moral minds. And I think about Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 that says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Number next, what about our commitment to the church? The church is the bride of Christ. He came to this earth, suffered and died for it to make it a vessel in which saved people go so that they might be redeemed from sin. That's, that, that is important to him. It was paid for with his blood. God came from heaven, took upon flesh, to bleed and die and give that blood for the redemption of the church. That's important. And yet how important is the church to the church today? I'm just wondering. Because it's not important to the world. It's right and it's good to invest in the church and to hold the church in high regard and my association with it and to do everything I can to promote its well-being and its success. It's wrong to do anything else. And God's moral standard of right or wrong, good or bad, helps me figure that out. What about Christian indulgence in immorality? We're told in Colossians chapter 3 to put to death our members which are upon the earth. All of the ungodly sins that the world so proudly and boastfully participates in, you know, that stuff threatens us too. And we need to run from it. We need to flee from it because we have a moral framework that says this is wrong, this is right, this is good, this is bad, and it came from God. We're the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5 says. And the whole point of shining our light our moral being is so that the world will see what we're doing and turn around and glorify God because of it. And then one more. One more moral misstep that really does matter is mine and your duty to say something. To say something. To make a distinction between right or wrong good or bad. Ezekiel warned that when you say to the wicked, you shall surely die, or when God does, but I don't give him warning or you don't give him warning, that same wicked man will die in his wicked way, but his blood will I require at your hand. I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. And so I have a duty to say something, not to just sit idly by 
And I know in some situations it's very challenging and difficult to do that. And quite frankly, you know, you know, maybe in a job situation, you don't have the ability to become an evangelist on your employer's time. I, I'm not, I get that. But we have a duty to say something. And there are plenty of opportunities for me and for you to be guided by the moral framework that God has given us and to do something, to say something. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we read about a period of time when the law of God was lost in the house of God. Amazing. And they brought the book of the law to, to Josiah and said, we found the law of God. It was lost in the house all this time. And he tore his clothes because of the implications of the situation in which they had found themselves. It would be a travesty for the word of God that gives the moral framework for society to be lost in the church house. That would be a tragedy. And you and I don't want to be guilty of that. We have a duty to say something. Our world is a moral mess. We live in it. There's no denying that, and we're threatened by it. But does morality matter? Yes, choosing right over wrong always matters. And again, I would hearken back to Genesis chapter 18. The presence of a righteous people in an ungodly population was enough for God to withhold his hand of judgment if, if they had been there. And so maybe the world exists and persists today because there are enough godly people who are willing to live by that standard and to see and say something to the world that so desperately needs it. May God help us to recognize, to honor, and accept his moral code of right and wrong and to live our lives by it. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. We'd love to study with you, help you come to know what God's will is for you, that you must come to him in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're a child of God out of duty to him who has abandoned his moral framework for your life and you want to return. Maybe you need to do that in a public way. We're going to sing a song to encourage and if we can help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.